listening to The Cooler Ring, a podcast made for manufacturing marketers. Here are Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Welcome to The Cooler Ring, a podcast for manufacturing marketers brought to you by Cooler Partners. My name is Jeff White and joining me today is Carmen Perry. Carmen, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I wonder if the listeners wonder if there's going to be like at some point you're going to introduce somebody else that would be more interesting. <laughs> maybe, maybe they hold out hope for that. Um, One of these days, he's finally going to change it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, look, it's another one of our, um, uh, I guess, uh, where we're just going to kind of stick to uh, having ourselves on the show versus bringing yeah. on a guest. And um, uh, so for folks who maybe tuned in um, last week, um, the, uh, we're recording these shows um, and, and releasing them during the period of COVID-19 uh, isolation, quarantine, whatever you want to call it. Um, just because we don't think it's a, a really great idea to be asking guests to promote these shows, but at the same time, we still want to keep this content going and um, and uh, and get it out there. So I, I, you know, I hope folks enjoy it, and um, and uh, not having guests doesn't make it too uh, lackluster for our listeners. <laughs> I think we we still have a fair amount to talk about, and I mean, this normally we record these things sitting in the same room, so you know, it's just a way for you and I to talk. Um, there you go. There you go. Well, look, uh, let's, uh, let's jump into it. Yeah. So today uh, I wanted to talk to you about something that you've been, um, you know, championing here at Kula and uh, with our clients and also uh, as you've been guesting on other podcasts as well. And that's this notion that, uh, you know, really, especially in B2B, you know, the funnel as we think of it, as it pertains to, um, you know, from an inbound marketing perspective and all of that, and, and we've heard others talk about this too, um, you know, it really doesn't make sense in a, in a lot of B2B contexts. And, and I wonder if you could kind of take our listeners through, um, through that somewhat, and we'll, uh, we'll dive in a little deeper. Yeah, I'll, I'll do my best. And I'm going to say, like, normally this is done with the benefit of some sort of visual aid. So people, like, with some theater of the mind, they can imagine a funnel, and hopefully we can get there. So we could add a graphic below the uh, the listening Ooh. thing. You know, I mean, we do have that technology. Yeah, so it's a whole internet thing. <laughs> As a web company, we can probably figure this out. The, the, the trouble, look, uh, for the most part, um, the funnel becomes more and more flawed the smaller somebody's total addressable market is um i mean that's the the, the basic rule if there were one and um uh so as we look at the funnel uh, let's just kind of talk take it from the top typical inbound marketing funnel starts with visitors at the top coming to the site being driven to the site in a variety of ways then they're converted into marketing qualified leads, MQLs. At uh, some point, those MQLs, in a typical scenario or a traditional, can we say traditional inbound marketing? I don't know. But anyway, in a tra <laughs> so in a traditional sense, I mean, they, there's usually a BANT qualification, um, so budget authority, need, and timeline. And if they have that, then that makes an MQL a sales qualified lead, an SQL. And then, of course, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Uh, amazing salesperson swoops in and uh, converts them into being a customer at the bottom of the funnel. So, I mean, this is something that most marketers would be pretty, pretty familiar with. Um, and the, I, I always, the, the thing that I like to start off with this is to say, well, let's just look at a funnel 
by the look, look, let's look at the math of the funnel. If it's operating in what is considered like kind of a best practice, if you will, or you know, it's really top performing um, inbound funnel. And uh, look, I'm I'm happy for the any inbound agencies or what have you that might be listening to kind of uh, comment or call me up and tell me I'm wrong here, but. We, we know that um, if we look at the percentages of conversion coming down that funnel, um, kind of almost the, the, the best that most people get in an inbound scenario, if they can get to a 4% visitor to MQL, they're pretty happy. Um, so 4% make it to an MQL. About 25% of those MQLs, um, making it to an SQL would represent a pretty damn solid performance. And then um, we're going to um, give our salespeople the benefit of the doubt. We're going to say that they close half of the business, that they are half of the deals that they're engaged in. So uh, if your folks are following me, I'm talking about a 4% visitor to MQL, 25% MQL to SQL, and then 50% SQL to customer. That's the math. And when you back that out, forget either i mean the idea that 25 percent of the people converting on your site are going to also be sales ready um is is pretty unlikely you know for most businesses yeah yeah but in this thought experiment we're going to have rose colored glasses for a minute right <laughs> perfect so so for a hundred customers if we work back up the the funnel that means that we need to get 100 closed one deals. We need to get 20,000 somewhat decent prospects to find the site. So 20,000 visits get me 100 customers. Follow me? Yep. Sounds easy. And uh, well, what I like to imagine is what's happening here. Because in this situation, if you have 100 um, uh, 100 customers, that means you have um, uh, 200 SQLs and 800 MQLs. So that means that um, only one out of every four uh, leads that the organization's getting is actually uh, decent by a salesperson standard. Um, and then beyond that, uh, the marketing team could be sitting there saying like, man, we're striping it. Like, we're we're operating at best practice here. We're operating at a four percent visitor to MQL, and both of the, both of those statements would be true. Like the salespeople could quite legitimately say, you know, our marketing efforts are only, uh, you know, only one out of every four leads decent, and they would be right. Um, and the marketers would also be right. And what but what's not right is that for most B two B businesses, they don't have twenty thousand. Uh, potential customers that they can send into an inbound funnel every month or every two months or whatever to get those 100 customers out the bottom. Now, they may not need 100 customers in a couple of months. If they only need 100 customers over the course of a year or 50 customers over the course of the year and they want to back out that math, chances are those organizations do not have a total addressable market even remotely approaching what they need to drive from a visitor-level perspective. So you said before that, that the... Um, that, that that's kind of unlikely, like the notion of getting a 25% MQL to SQL. Um, 
you know, chances are that's not what's, what what reality is. And, you know, we've been at this game quite a while, and I'd say you're quite right. And what's a more likely scenario that we've often seen um, with people that we speak to and they tell us about the performance that they're experiencing in an inbound scenario, very often what you see is more like a, a visitor to MQL rate of something like 2.5%. And then you see that MQL to SQL is instead of 25, it's probably more like 10%. Yeah. And they probably only close about 25% of the deals. And I think that's being quite generous for an awful lot of sales organizations. But we like to be nice to salespeople on this show. As people who also do a fair amount of sales. Yeah, no, it's very self-serving. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but in that scenario, even, um, if we're talking about that 2.5% visitor to MQL, 10% MQL to SQL, then 25% SQL to customer, that means for every 100 closed one customers, I need to get 160,000 visitors to the site. And that's where it really breaks down, doesn't it? Oh, certainly. Because, I mean, you know, let alone driving those kinds of numbers from organic or even paid sources being difficult, having, especially in a B2B environment, having that many potential people who could potentially buy from you or even find it interesting to land on your site is just, is very unlikely. Like, just hugely um, there's a big disconnect. I, I mean, sure, for the for the ABBs or GEs of the world or whatever, they can deal in these sorts of numbers. But then at the same time, they're looking for many more customers than that too. So yeah. even in their scenarios, it doesn't really truly work and scale in the way that the inbound um, uh, gospel, uh, uh, as it's generally preached, would have you believe. And and I think you know to give some credence to the the inbound. Um, discipline and her doctrine or you know there there are businesses that can attract that kind of level of traffic and get those kinds of conversions but they're generally not b2b you know they they probably have an unlimited addressable market you know they probably can sell to anyone and most likely to consumers yeah absolutely i mean think about uh, even if uh uh, we go way back uh, in the history of Kula, way before um, uh, we were focused on working exclusively with manufacturers. So, so we're going to go way back in the time machine now. I mean, but we used to do uh, um, uh, inbound marketing work for orthodontists at one point, uh, and uh, and man, did those funnels ever work? Yeah, right. I mean, you had uh, you know in, a, in any given market. What is fundamentally an unlimited number of, and, and no, it's not unlimited. Yes, it's limited by the geography, but for the amount of clients that a particular clinic can intake, um, uh, fundamentally the market is unlimited. People are searching for information around products like Invisalign. They're searching for information on braces in general and other things around orthodontics, and you can answer those questions convert the, those answers into um, into leads, largely because an orthodontist is a kind of quasi-medical um, profession, um, uh, carries so much trust with uh, visitors anyway when they land at the site. 
and then so so the conversion rates tend to be pretty high and that funnel man i mean we've watched it generate millions and millions of dollars in orthodontic sales and it just doesn't work if you happen to be a flexible packaging manufacturer as an example <laughs> with 10 possible <laughs> customers <laughs> yeah and chances are they have more than that uh, that fucks but but yeah it's not uh, it's not unlimited for sure and it's certainly somewhere south of ten thousand um and 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 in some cases may even be south of six thousand you know yeah and in those cases um you've got to kind of flip this funnel on its head and approach your marketing in a different way so let's talk about that. You know, if I mean, obviously, your inbound content and your and conversion on your site is always going to provide some kind of assist. And it's always good to have that content at the ready and available for sales to to send to prospective customers and things like that. But how do you choose to market when you know that you can't just keep adding to the top of your funnel in order to get those customers? I mean, you're quite right. That content's important, and um, and uh, and 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 to the extent that your site is serving as a destination for thought leadership and for um, uh, authoritative information on the products you make, um, it's uh, having points of conversion on that site is a really solid way to start driving some decent leads. So um, we're not going to dunk on inbound too hard, but you can't stop there. Um. Uh, I like to talk about this prospect pyramid, this notion of flipping the funnel on its head and talking about it through the lens of a pyramid, where you start at a very, very fine point at the top of that pyramid. And um, I should note that this pyramid all happens under a bit of a halo, if you will. Of course, your public relations or any kind of uh, kind of general marketing communications, brand communications that you might uh, you might be uh, executing. Um, to, to create a bit of a uh, air cover, if you will, uh, for the more blocking and tackling pros- uh, you know, uh, work of getting uh, prospects in the door. So beyond that halo, if we work down, we think about this pyramid, and often I talk about there's kind of five layers to it. So I guess, Jeff, I can just take you down through these layers and we can talk about each one potentially. Well, let's do that. So... At the very top is target. Like everything is going to start at that very fine point at the top of the pyramid where we identify who our ideal customer profile, what, what that ICP looks like, who are the uh, buying committees that we typically encounter in those ideal fit customer organizations, and what are the personas that make up that committee typically. Um, from that foundation, we then need to know how do we identify the processes for how do we actually get customer names, or prospect names, uh, and, uh, and and URLs, so company names and URLs to start formulating a target account list. It sounds very basic, but for many marketing and sales organizations, they just don't uh, know how to do it. They don't have the capacity to do it yet, so they need to build that. Um and then uh, to conclude on that uh, targeting segment, once you know how you're going to identify what is an ideal fit customer, who are the buying uh, buyers within that, uh, that that you typically encounter, and uh, how do I create a list of people that I actually want to go out and sell to? Once we've done that, 
then the last kind of checkbox, if you will, is we need to figure out a way that we can um, uh, advertise into those accounts without um, requiring it to be always kind of a, a push, always a one-to-one kind of email or or phone call kind of outbound sales type of uh, conversation, but how do we surround those accounts in a more holistic way? Let's quickly kind of delve into what it actually takes to create that ICP. Like what kind of information are we looking for when we're, when we're crafting that? The ICP is really about firmographic data. So uh, the, in, the industries that you typically sell into, um, that's, that's where you will start. And then you'll go into what is the typical um, either revenue size or employee count that I encounter. And often you're extrapolating back from there. I mean, we're um, working with a, a prospect right now who sells into uh, large manufacturing organizations with a focus on selling into the engineering departments of those organizations. And uh, this prospect is only interested in uh, organizations that have 100 200 engineers well to have 100 or 200 engineers on staff you can uh, imagine how many actual uh, total staff that they need to have uh and that often gives you a, a pretty good uh, insight into the type of revenue or scale that uh, that those types of companies would um, would be so that's I, I guess jeff the those are the main points as i would think about industries and subcategories there and then uh, employee count and revenue count. And um, and then, of course, when you go into those buying group personas, um, think through who, who are the lead researchers, the who, who's the, the decision maker, who, who are the people that can impact the decision along the way. We know these buying committees are continuing to increase in size. Um, and it's helpful th- at that target phase of, of your work to... Uh, build out that buyer's journey in a way that maps each member of that buying committee against the phases that the account is going through uh, in their purchase decision. And in doing that, um, and we use a tool, uh, folks called Smaply, uh, to, to assist with that journey mapping. And uh, when you do that, it, it, it can just kind of step back from it a bit, and you can really see at different stages in that buyer's journey what uh, types of things you ought to be talking about and to whom and when. Uh, and that really perform, uh, uh, provides the foundation for uh, this type of approach. I find those documents to be really helpful in just illustrating, you know, exactly who is getting involved at what point in that sales process, what's happening before you even know about a prospect being interested in your company. I mean, that's, that's one of the things that's most interesting about this entire um, notion of account based selling and account based marketing is that there's a whole host of things that before a prospect is even on your radar, a specific prospect, there are a whole host of research and uh, other things that that prospect is doing um, in order to get ready to make a purchase from you. 
Are your digital marketing efforts bringing in too many junk leads? Stop wasting time and distracting your sales team. Account-based marketing can help give your marketing strategy the laser focus on qualified buyers that you need to increase your pipeline velocity, close more deals, and grow your business faster. We've created a sample manufacturing ABM plan to help you get started. Download the sample manufacturing ABM plan at bit.ly slash sample ABM. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash sample ABM. Yeah, and we know that increasingly um, there's increased anonymity in that process as well. People are wanting to stay um, uh, unknown for longer. They're less willing to do form fills and whatnot in those early stages of, of research. So, mm-hmm. or at least they're less likely to do truthful form fills often. Um, uh, they'll fill out a form if they need to get the content, but they may not give you the, their, their actual information. So uh, every marketer's dealt with that. I think the uh, the um, you know what that really speaks to the the desire for anonymity is probably the importance of starting to look at ungating certain resources on your site. Um, you will get better penetration potentially if you have a guide that is designed to support someone in the very early portions of their purchase cycle if you do not require them to sign up to get it. Um, maybe start considering only putting your very um, late stage guides under a conversion form potentially. Th- these are all different levers that people can pull in order to uh to kind of better leverage the sorts of buyers that are um, engaging in these B2B processes. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, mean, I tend to probably err on the side of saying gate more content than not. Uh, I know that that flies a bit in the face of what a lot of people tend to think uh, in this um, kind of day, this day and age, there is a lot of movement towards people saying, look, uh, on gate content, put up uh, you know, chat uh, clients and things of that nature to do contact capture in a more kind of um, uh, natural, if you will, way as somebody's discovering your content. I think there's some usefulness to that. One of the things I think people can try right out of the gate if they're beginning to, to work at this account-based advertising level is that the content that they're promoting in an awareness phase in an account-based advertising approach um, make that content that you're driving to on gated, even if it's gated on your site normally, on gated for that campaign, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and then begin to 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 see to what extent do you do you notice any kind of engagement differences there. But, exactly. So the next layer down on the pyramid um, that call lead, and that's where you start looking at the marketing mix that your um, that your organization is putting out, and say. What elements are we doing that demonstrate industry leadership and span multiple verticals that we sell into? Now, I suppose in some ways, just for some self-reference criteria, the Cooler Ring podcast is like that for Cooler Partners. It's uh, um, uh, We try to bring the stories of manufacturing marketers uh, to other manufacturing marketers, and in so doing, we really... Um, do not uh, distinguish between different verticals within manufacturing. It it kind of applies to any uh, aspect of manufacturing that we would typically sell or service into, and and, and even many that we don't. Um, So um, I think on that leadership tier of, of, of this work, is to think about the content that you have that forms a bit of the backbone of your of your marketing efforts, that is not specifically targeted to any one segment that you serve. Mm-hmm. 
And the next layer down is I think when people can really begin to imagine um, the segmentation of an account-based approach. We talk about campaign as the third tier down. Um, and, and, and that's where I'm talking about kind of really two primary things. One is the segmentation of your target account list into various campaign tiers. Typically, you have tier one, tier two, and tier three. We can talk about that a little bit. Um, and then customized campaign playbooks that surround uh, various uh, marketing initiatives that happen throughout the year. For instance, um, what is the standard thing that we do when it comes time to do a product launch? Um, what do we do around trade shows? What do we do around um, uh, deployment of a, of a new service? Um, uh, these are all things that as a marketing organization you can develop an account-based approach to executing on these uh, tactics and initiatives. doesn't mean that they're always exactly the same. The creative obviously can be very different. Various aspects of these campaigns can be very different. But the, the fundamental kind of playbook and approach uh, as a marketing organization that you employ uh, can be honed and, um, and, and, and perfected over time. Those ABM campaign tiers we were talking about, I'm really speaking there about taking your target account list and divvying it up. Uh, often in tier three, you're talking about the smaller value accounts that you uh, in some ways are, are lumping into um, uh, one bigger bucket often. Um, often in those accounts, they're, they're not of a significant lifetime value um, enough that you're, that it warrants you creating bespoke content that speaks directly to them. Tier two is uh, when we're often applying some additional level of segmentation that allows us to speak to people in a more cohesive way. So we may at that point say, uh, we're going to divvy up our tier two uh, target accounts based upon industry. So we're going to have um, uh, industry uh, XYZ or you know, electronics manufacturers, flexible packaging manufacturers, and industrial uh, equipment manufacturers. There's three different verticals that we're going to target, um, and we're going to create campaigns and content uh, around each one of those uh, categories or segments uh, and campaign into those accounts in that way. And then, of course, in tier one is when we're looking at um, those one-to-one -one opportunities where we know that the lifetime value uh, of those accounts is likely to be incredibly high. These are the you know the top accounts that our sales organization wants to land. Um, and we can develop one-to-one uh, -one, uh, account-based campaigns that speak to those accounts directly, uh, potentially and name them in the creative, speak to pain points that are um, research that are specific to those organizations. So that's what I tend to be thinking about in that campaign tier in the middle of the pyramid. We've started with targeting. We know who we're going to reach out to. We've uh, created our overall industry leadership. And now we're starting to extend down into how do we actually get out in front of our target account list in a segmented and targeted way. Exactly. And, and you're talking primarily here about using account-based advertising tools to do this. Well, yes. And I think that you obviously can follow those up or complement them with other things. So, um, you know, we know, for instance, for tier one campaigns, you can often uh, combine uh, direct mail, as an example, with, yep. um, with account-based advertising. 
Um, you can, uh, even if you want to go a little further uh, uh, afield than what most people think of when they think of this kind of stuff, I mean, um, if you know that they're the headquarters that you're targeting in a tier one, um, that there's a big billboard outside of their uh, outside of their office. Well, you could you could buy that billboard. You could combine that with the direct mail initiative, and then also have account based advertising happening, um, and then sequence out the the messaging for for your sales organizations once you actually start to get some engagement. So you can really I think think pretty full pipeline as you tend to approach this. And I think that's what's really interesting about this is because you know. I think in a lot of cases, inbound marketing tends to get a bit formulaic. You know, um, you've got the social media content that supports your thought leadership content that, you know, leads to your downloadable guides and, and all of that. Whereas in this kind of situation, especially when you're talking about tier one, one to one type messaging, advertising marketing and selling, you know, you really want to kind of pull the covers off a little bit and really get creative about exactly how you can reach those accounts. And I think that's where the, you know, the deep research needs to come into play so that you fully understand exactly what options are available to you. Well, it's interesting just as you said that, because it tells me that in some ways it starts from a almost your, um, what's your mindset going in? Like if you're going in thinking, man, like these are the these are the 50 key accounts that my organization has. And they're the same 50 key accounts we're going to have probably next year, <laughs> you know, or at least like in some ways we can't, um, uh, you know, if, if the total addressable market is small, um, as you look at those key opportunities, uh, you can't squander them, can you? Whereas if you have this notion or you have this mindset that the top of funnel is just unlimited, well, then why not apply a formulaic approach to the funnel and just see what comes out of the bottom? Mm-hmm. You see what I mean? Oh, 100%. Like, uh, it's kind of like the, it drives the attitude in some ways, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really does. And it just points to how you know important it is to, to truly understand that ICP so that you know exactly what's available to you as an option. So I, I believe there's one more layer, maybe two more layers to the pyramid. There are always two more layers to almost everything, but there's two more layers to this. Um, yeah, so I'll go really quick. So the next layer down, I call engage and sell. Where I say, okay, we've started the campaign into these accounts. We're starting to get some level of engagement. Now what do we build in from a point of view of um, either intent-guided marketing? So as people are leaning in and demonstrating a level of intent around certain aspects of what we sell, how do we then uh, change how what we're promoting to them to align with what they're uh, spiking on intent for? Uh, beyond that, you can use uh, those same buying intent data to drive intent-guided selling. So we know that people are uh, beginning to engage in our account-based advertising efforts. Um, and we know that they're spiking an intent for what we sell. So now we're going to then trigger our outbound sales or inside sales folks or what have you to begin to reach out to them in a way that is uh, uh, not only aware of what they're spiking on from an intent perspective, but is customized to it. Um, and then beyond that, in the engage and sell tier, we're also talking about digital sales and sales enablement. So um, coming further down that pipeline now, we, 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 we have uh, an engaged prospect and we're looking to sell them to them in smarter ways. 
The last, uh, but certainly not least, kind of in some ways the foundation of this pyramid is cross, sell, and retain. I suppose in some ways that recognizes um, uh, the value of each account like we just talked about. We're, 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 we're not talking about it as though the top is unlimited, but rather that, we, that, that every account counts. Um, and, and, and that's certainly true in the bottom of the pyramid when we're talking about cross, sell, and retain. What are we doing to not only land accounts, but expand them, increase our share of wallet, increase the lifetime value of customer. In so many large B2B organizations, that first deal is just the tip of an iceberg. And there are a lot of other um, organization, you know, sub-organizations, divisions, uh, other offices, branches, et cetera, that can also buy what it is you sell. Um, and organizations, sales organizations often struggle with that about how to kind of get the tentacles, if you will, throughout a, a prospect organization and really kind of establish that relationship with a customer such that you increase share of wallet to that extent. The account-based advertising approaches can help with that because you can um, uh, market to those organizations, those existing customers in a, a way that is uh, very informed by what they by, by what you know to be their pain points and what you know to be the products that they already take advantage of uh, from you and uh, find ways to market the other services and products that you sell to other divisions um, and get a bit of the polarity of that sale reversing so the salesperson doesn't always feel like they're uh, being the missionary into the customer organization, but rather they get those customers asking uh, them for questions and uh, asking questions, asking them for assistance, asking them for, uh, geez, about that net net Kunu product that you're uh, uh, launching next month. I'd like to know more about that. That type of um, uh, flipping of the polarity in the sales process is often key to maximizing a cross-sell opportunity. And I, I think that's really the, you know, the the nut of this entirely is the idea of, you know, getting on the radar of others in the organization and, you know, providing different ways into that using referral sources from the people that you do sell into already, you know, providing that air cover with account-based advertising into those other divisions, um, you know, there's just so many different things that you can do there in order to expand those accounts. And, uh, you know, especially as we see with so many of the manufacturers that we talk to that just, you know, are growing through merger and acquisition, the opportunity to sell into their other divisions just keeps getting keeps getting larger and potentially, um, you know, more difficult too, as they get more spread out and, and, uh, have, uh, you know, people within the organization that simply don't know each other and don't talk. Yeah. We've seen M and a activity happening, at, uh, at such a pace that frankly, there's no salesperson on the planet that could keep up with all the different things that they could sell. Yeah. You know, if you're doing, uh, two, three, um, serious, uh, acquisitions a year and they, are all multi-product line, multi-service line. Like, man, you know, no, the, the salesperson would have to be men's level. Um, and, and I mean, you just can't depend upon that, you know. And um, and that's where I think marketing has often uh, felt a little. Um, marketing didn't really have a club in their bag about how they could help, right? I, I think account-based advertising gives them that. Uh, that club in the bag that they wouldn't have had otherwise to say, okay, uh, M and a, uh, we, we got this uh, acquisition that closes in, uh, in July. 
um, in our first uh, two months of communication to uh, the customers for that organization as we begin to introduce them to the company that just bought um, the, the company that they've been doing business with for the last uh, X number of years. Um, this is how you know, marketing can take control and actually uh, design how they're going to uh, uh, message into those accounts and uh, bring them into the, the the broader family and introduce them to the broader opportunities for more cross sell more cross sell more um, uh, LQV across the uh, uh, across the group. Um, yeah, it's just it's something that before marketing just couldn't touch. And in an account-based approach, not only can they uh, impact it, but they can impact it in such an incredibly focused way. I think that's uh, that's probably a good place to stop there. Um, you know, thanks, Carmen, for uh, taking us through this. Obviously, we will uh, we'll include a graphic of the prospect pyramid on the uh, podcast page that this is uh, going up with. And uh, yeah, I, I think it was really interesting to kind of walk through that and uh, and get your ideas about the uh, why the funnel is flawed um, out to our audience. It's been fun to chat about it. I mean, it's funny that uh, I think we talk about this stuff a lot more on the podcast we guest on than on our own. So uh, always good to get, uh, get a chance to banter about it here too. Indeed. Well, have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to The Cooler Ring with Carmen Perry and Jeff White. Don't miss a single manufacturing marketing insight. Subscribe now at coolapartners.com slash the cooler ring. That's K-U-L-A partners.com slash the cooler ring.